given you an outline there because I thought, well, it will be profitable if you can just follow along in the scriptures especially. And I'm going to let you put this message together. I'll let you do that. Are you ready to do that? Can I call on anyone here to do this for me? Top to bottom. Are you ready? Are you ready? Now, just look this way a moment before, and then we'll, then we'll look at the outline. A God that can create this universe in which we live has got to be a great God. Yes or no? Who in the world creates three trillion galaxies and billions of stars in every galaxy, creates a planet Earth with all the intricacies, the, the, the science that's inherent within the planet on which we live is beyond anybody's comprehension. No, nobody can figure it all out. I gave you a book before this, and, and if you can figure a monarch butterfly out, just figure it out. How in the world he knows? He's, he's, he does better than GPS ever did. He doesn't get lost. He flies thousands of miles. He knows where to mate and breed. He knows where to go in summer and winter. He knows where to be. He knows the route, and he never misses. And he gets there to almost to the day and the hour every year. They, they, have a, they have a day marked when he's going to show up. The, the millions of them show up. And they expect that every year. Now, how in the world did evolution do that? No way. And God's a great God. You take your eyeball. The technology in, your, in one human eyeball? Oh, 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 Nobody's ever figured that thing out. They study it, and they study it, and they try to fix it up if something goes wrong. And, but, but God made all of this. But then came this guy, Adam. And God created him, and, and boy, what a mess he made. But the God that created us is the very God who, at the sacrifice of himself... Now, we're at the Lord's table, right? This is the Lord's table, Correct. And we are here to recognize, to celebrate, and to proclaim, to proclaim the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we are doing this service today. As often as you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you make a proclamation, a public, a, a public definition, a public uh, proclamation of, of the Lord's death until he comes. So this great creating God has become a great redeeming God. And whose God, in all of the gods of the world, redeems his subjects by sacrificing himself for their sins? Who does that? Show me a God anywhere that does that. It doesn't happen. It does, it does, no God like that exists. So, let's take a look at question number one. Question number one, okay? You ready for your test? What is the main un underlying reason for the existence of man? Well, I have an answer here. God desired a personal being in his own image who would have the capacity to receive and return his love. Now, when Adam walked out on God, that all ended. And God brought it back into place through sacrifice. God desired a personal being in his own image 
emotionally, spiritually, if you please. God did this. Question number two. What is the chief aim of man? And this comes out, I think, of a, uh, of a Presbyterian creed. To know God and to enjoy him forever. Now, all of this would be absolutely impossible if we did not have a redeeming God. The creating God, yes, but the redeeming God, that's the amazing, amazing, amazing thing that we have. So I was reading through, several months ago it was, I was reading through Romans, and I got to Romans chapter 8, and I've read that chapter many times. Many of you have read that chapter. Some of you are very familiar with it, some are not. But Romans 8 is quite a chapter, and there are two, two series of five Two series of five, and I want you to find the first series in this, in this reading here, all right? Let's take a look at this. Uh, now, uh, let's, let's look at Romans 8, beginning with verse 28. Let's start there in our reading. We know, notice I've got a Greek word there. Now, you can't read that word, but I'll tell you what it is, and you can say it, so I'll give you your Greek lesson today. Oidemen, oidemen. Now, there are different Greek words that have to do with, with, mental, with the mental function. And uh, this, uh, you have, uh, the word know means to know by experience, know an experience. You learn it in the class and by experience you, you know this to be true. Uh, but this one has to do to know with perception, to know with understanding. Okay? We almost could translate it, we understand. All right? Uh, it, it's more than a fact to us we perceive that, that this has great meaning. We perceive that this is a very significant statement. It has enormous implications in our life. Okay? We know what? We know that all things, read the text, what do we know? All things that God causes, all things to what? Work together for Good. All right. Now, any exceptions? Any exceptions? How in the world can this be true? God causes all things to work together for good. But for a special class of purpose, of, of persons. To those who are what? It's got it underlined here. Called according to God's purpose. All right, I've got a question. Can anybody deny God from being God? Can anybody dethrone God? Can it, does God ever lose control, regardless of what man does? We know, we, we understand... This is tremendously significant. The God who is our creator, but because he's our redeemer, that adds a new dimension. How can he cause all things to work together for good? Because of the work of the cross of Jesus Christ, he's able to do this. He's able to turn every bad thing upside down because in the end he will be glorified regardless because nobody can deny him being God. That won't happen. 
That will not happen. Now, I want you to see five things that God did because he had a purpose. Now, what was his purpose? Let's go back up to the first question. God's purpose was to create a personal being in his own image who would have the capacity to receive and return his love. That is God's purpose. Why has God saved us? Huh? Why has God redeemed us? All right? And knowing God and enjoying him forever. So how is this going to happen? All right, I have, in a mauve of colored font there, I have five things that God did in this process. Five things that God did in this process. Now you remember, was it a week ago I talked to you about the truth and about how God created everything? Was that a week ago? And before, before you were conceived in your mother's womb, long before you were conceived first, before your mother or father ever had any relationship, you were conceived in the heart and mind of God. So notice the first word in, the, in, this, in a series of five, five different, five different things here. Whom he did what? What's the first thing? He foreknew. He foreknew. Now, somebody said this business of election. Then God controls everything and I don't control anything. Well, you'll find two times in the New Testament we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. That means based on what God knew we would do. So we have a part in that. Okay? We have a part in that. All right? Number one, he foreknew. Now, he knew of your existence before you existed. And he knew of your life on earth before you were conceived or born. All of this, he foreknew. Now notice the next thing is, he did what? What's the second thing? He foreknew. Secondly, he predestined. And that is according to God's foreknowledge. And then, what is the third one in number 30, verse number 30? He called. Now how does he call us? Do you remember when you came to Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and mind? Do you remember that? God was calling you himself. He foreknew, he predestined, then he called. But if he calls you, it's not going to do any good unless he has a means by which you can get to heaven. And in a sermon to come, I'll talk about this. Um, I got time. Want to have a little fun? Want a little side journey? Well, let me ask you a question. How many sins can get into heaven? Let me ask you a question. How many sins ruined the first creation? One sin turned heaven into hell in this creation. Am I right on that? One man, one sin. I've got a question for you. Is one man and one sin going to get into heaven? If it does, what's going to happen to the new creation? Ever think about that? So God has to have a way to get us into heaven without getting any sin into heaven. How did he do that? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how he did it. And whom he called, he justified, he acquitted. He ignored not one sin. He knows what sins you've never figured out in your life. Before you were born, he died for all of your sins. Past, present, and future. Is that correct? 
And we call them he also justified, which means God took care of everything on the list, omitting none, because if God missed one of them, you can't make it. It's not putting you on a scale with all the good and the bad. No, 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 that won't work. That won't work. One sin destroyed the whole creation. And one sin will destroy heaven, and heaven won't be heaven anymore if one sin gets in there. How complete is this work on the cross? It is totally complete. Not partially complete, it is totally complete. Okay? So, he also justified, which means he took every sin to judgment. He did not ignore one sin. He didn't pass one sin up from the moment of your conception to your exit out of this world. Not one sin was missed. And every last one of them, he said, you're acquitted, you're acquitted, you're acquitted, you're not guilty, you're not guilty, you're not guilty. Why? Because the Son of God became guilty for us. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. Yes? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And whom he justified, them he also what? What's the next? This is the fifth one. Glorified. This is the goal of God. To bring us to glory. Not just to give us a better life and the American dream here on planet earth. It is to glorify us together with his son Jesus Christ. To behold the glory of Jesus Christ but also to share in that glory. Whom he justified these he also glorified. Now I have five questions. There are five questions. A series of five questions here. And I don't know the technical meaning for the what's a question that you ask and the answer is, is already implied in the question. What's that called? Huh? Rhetorical. A rhetorical. Okay. All right. We've got five rhetorical questions. That, that means the answer is, is completely enclosed in and implied within the question. So how in the world, let, let's take it down, down through, uh, he foreknew... Uh, he called. What did he do? He predestined, he justified, and he glorified. So how is this possible? Well, we have five questions that point out how this is possible. All right? Number one, and I have this in your notes. I have them numbered. If God is for us, who is against us? Now, what's the answer to that question? It's a rhetorical question. If God is for us, King James says, who can be against us? The Greek text is just who against us. Is it possible for anybody successfully to be against us if God is on our side? Who can be against us? No one. No one. No one. The second, the second is this. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? How is it possible? And before that, he qualifies this. He says, the one who did, who went, who went so far, who loved us to the extent that, who was so determined in his own purpose to save us and redeem us, that he spared not whom? His own son. Now, would there be anything nearer or dearer to the heart of God than his son? Please help me. What would it be? 
angels, a throne, a place called heaven. Is there anything that possibly we could conceive that would be more near and dear and valuable to the heart of God than his own son? Now the question is this, he didn't spare his own son, and how is it possible, having done that, that he will not do a lot of these little things? You freely give us all these little things. If he did the big thing, is it possible that he won't do the little things? What's your need today? What's your struggle? Come on. What's your need? What's your struggle? What troubles you today? What are you worried about? What do you not control in your life that is of great concern to you right now? How is it possible that he will not freely? Now that's the word grace. Divine favor. Unearned unmerited, inexhaustible, divine favor, the grace of God. He will graciously give us all things. Now, what does the word all mean? Johnny, what's the word all mean? All means all. That's all it means. It means everything. All right? How's God going to get you to heaven if he's not in control of the mess you're in? Are you in a mess? (laughs) How is God God going to accomplish divine purpose? All right. Well, there's another question. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who can get us in trouble with God? Is it possible anybody? Can the devil get us in trouble with God? Can he go before God and can he bring up any sin for which Jesus Christ has not died? Does he have any kind of a handle to condemn us? Whom he justified, then he also glorified. Because once you've been acquitted of everything, then the glorification comes Later, who is the one who condemns? Jesus died. Jesus was raised. Jesus is now our intercessor. He makes earnest requests. That word intercessor means to make in earnest request. And he does so at the Father's right hand. How can the Father deny the Son in his intercessions? Is that possible? How are we going to make it? Because we have a good day? Because we don't blow it up real badly today, then we have favor. No, the favor that we have with God is in his son, Jesus Christ. He's our peace, our righteousness. He is all of these things. And then the fifth question. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? What a question this is. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes on through the end of this chapter. And he talks about every conceivable thing that can happen to you and to me. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword, peril, and things present, things to come, death, life, angels, principalities, height, depth, any other created thing. He lists the whole thing. 
None of these has the ability, will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. The love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of these things. And in verse 37, if you'll see this in your text, I've got a little Greek word in there. But, it's a strong but, it's a strong adversative. In, contrary to all of these things, something is true. But in all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. And that is with the Greek preposition hooper, which means way over and above. It means not only to conquer, but to conquer overwhelmingly. Through him who loves us. So, we have a great God. A great creating God, a great redeeming God. And he personally came in the person of his son. And we are here to recognize and proclaim. Have you received Jesus as your Savior? And are you trusting him and nothing else for your salvation? Man, this is important. Very, very important. The only hope that you have, not one sin can you take into heaven with you. And if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's no way you can become acquitted. We are acquitted by faith in Jesus Christ and his blood. That's where we get our acquittal. It's not in a Baptist church. It's, it's not an eating and drinking material emblems. That's not where it is. It's not in pastor, priest, rabbi. It's in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the divine trinity. What a God. I love that, and I'm almost tempted to, to, to change the hymn. But do, do you know this one? Do you know this one? I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. Now you know it. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Sing the chorus one more time. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. The mind cannot explain it nor contain it. A God who dies for his creation to redeem it, who sheds his precious blood. Wow, what a God. So, we have these emblems and as we partake of these, they're symbols, they're emblems. We do not have the body of Christ here. That's resurrected body is in heaven today. Our Lord Jesus is there interceding for us.
And we are here to think about, to remember, and to lift our hearts in praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving. We should not take this bread, we should not take this cup without lifting our hearts in praise to God. Hallelujah is the Hebrew word meaning giving praise unto Yahweh. Praise God. Hallelujah. And we have that song, Hallelujah, what a Savior. So our Lord Jesus was gathered with his disciples in that upper room. He took bread, he broke it, and he gave it to all his disciples. Brother Ronnie Celio, would you lead us please in a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. And while he prays, let's just all say, thank you, dear Lord. Praise and thanksgiving for the precious body of the Lord Jesus in his humanity who died for our sins on the cross. going to read from the text in Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who also intercedes for us. 
Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You talk about evident, visible, manifest love. Jesus said, take, eat, this is what? My body. Given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, we read after the same manner also, he took the cup, gave also of it to his disciples. <clears throat> Brother Don Maalona, will you lead us please in a prayer of thanksgiving and praise for the precious shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that seals an eternal covenant of redemption to those who receive Christ as their Savior. Thank you, Father, Lord, for the great grace the Lord has even saved our souls. According to the death and the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, <coughs> give you the heart of thanksgiving and praise. We thank you, Amen. Amen. Reading from Peter's epistle. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great or abounding mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, having obtained as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. If you address this Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during this time of your sojourn on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You know, how many of you really get upset with your friends when they change their mind? Have you ever made a serious promise to someone and found yourself unable to keep it? That's embarrassing. A lot of people have been hurt when people have changed their minds. Paul said that all of God's promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. God does not change his mind. This cup is the new covenant, unchangeable, unalterable commitment that Almighty God has made to us as his people. This cup is the new covenant, Jesus said, in my blood. Boy, does that make it personal. Wow. What a guarantee. Do this every time, as often as you drink it, and do it in remembrance of me. What a Savior. What a salvation. People can't understand. How, how do you, how do you people, how can you say I know for sure when I die heaven's going to be my home? Because God is the kind of God he is. That's how I know for sure. I know for sure because God doesn't change. And he has made adequate provision for all of this. And if he didn't do that, Jesus would not have come. We'd be worshiping wood and stone and are hoping in the best we can do and offer to God up. But our sacrifice is Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. And if you don't know him, I, I don't know your heart. I don't know your mind. But if you don't know him, receive him today. Receive him now. Place your faith in him. You're, you, our church can't do this for you. As a pastor, I can't do this for you. No priest or no rabbi can do this for you. There isn't any human being can do this for you. Jesus Christ was genuinely human, but he was God in flesh. He's infinite and eternal in his being and in everything he did for us. And that's how you can know that heaven is your home when you die. But you have to have him. <laughs> you have to receive him. He is the sacrifice. This is not the sacrifice. This is simply an emblem of the sacrifice. This is a celebration of the great salvation that God has given us. Our deacons will wait on us now for our fellowship offering. 
and and uh, this this offering is received to, to fellowship in the financial needs of others uh, as they arise. It's always a joy to be able to to be of help and blessing to those to those who are in time of need. So may the Lord bless you as you give and give generously. God bless you.